0: God in heaven, thank you for this privilege to come into your presence. Thank you to be able to share with these young people. And I just pray that you would bless us, that you would minister to us, and that you would open our eyes to what we need to see today. Father, I cannot help these people. And so I pray that you would do for them what only you can. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget where you came from, and what I'm going to begin with is share a story with you. So, I was at ASI earlier this year in August. ASI was in, I'm everywhere all the time, Houston. ASI was in Houston. And i had had dinner with Taj Paklev on a Friday evening, I think, before the, the Sabbath came, and had picked his brain on some stuff, it was helpful, and then I asked him a question. And I've asked this to a lot of evangelists, just because I'm kind of new to this. And so I said, what advice do you wish you would have received when you were me, knowing what you know now? So what advice did you wish people would have told you, knowing what you know now, whenever you were just starting an evangelism? not just starting, but you know, going through this process of becoming known and other stuff that you never asked for. And he's a severe introvert too, so it was helpful. And instead of answering my question directly, he started to tell me a story. You ever had somebody do that where you ask them a question and they don't just say the answer is X, but like, let me tell you a story about whatever. And eventually they get to their point. Um, Jesus did this. Other people in the Bible did this, so it's not a bad thing. So Taj begins to tell me this story. And he says, you know, there's this guy, the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, and the guy's been an invalid for how long? Do you guys know? 38 years. He's been incapable of walking, of supporting his own body weight for 38 years. We're told in Desire of Ages that he's actually the most helpless case there. Of everyone who's there, he's the most helpless. And so Taj begins to tell me, you know, that he's in this horrible condition, and Jesus asks him a question, and it's a seemingly obvious question, you would think. He says, do you want to be made well? What do you think? If I were him, I would say, yeah. The guy kind of gives this lame answer, and I don't mean because he's lame. I mean the answer he gives is lame. And, and then eventually, Jesus asks a follow-up question. Actually, he gives him a command. He tells him to rise, three things, to rise... To take up his mat and to walk. And Taj made this point that, you know, the rising makes sense and the walking makes sense. But what's with the mat? What's that got to do with the price of fish? Like, why? Telling the guy to rise and to stand, I get that. But why is it that he's telling this man to take his mat with him? This mat is just this reminder of 38 years of rejection, abandonment, shame, and hopelessness. And then Taj went in, and he says, that's precisely the point. What Jesus is basically telling the man is to not forget where he came from. And I remember when he told me that, it just hit me hard. And so instead of telling me just a direct answer and sounding like some you know, crusty old guy, even though he's not, Taj isn't very old at all, but just, you know, just, it just you know, don't get too big for your britches, young blood, like, he didn't, he didn't say anything like that, what he told me was, don't forget where you came from, man, that's the best advice I can give you, but he told me through a story that made it easier to swallow, right, and it was great advice, right, as someone is going through this process that I never asked for, I'm an introvert, I didn't ask to be in front of people, I didn't ask to be a public speaker, I didn't think I could do any of that stuff, but people believe things about me that I didn't believe. And because of their belief, which awakened me to God's belief, I do what I do now by the grace of God, which is, is only by the grace of God. So it was very helpful advice for me. And this counsel that Taj gave me kind of reminded me of the story of two people in Scripture, Simon the leper and Mary Magdalene. And I'd like to tell you their two stories, and, and through their two stories, bring out this point of not forgetting where we came from. They have two completely different life journeys, but their two different journeys converge to the feet of Jesus. Simon the leper, he's a religious leader who contracts leprosy. Now, this is, that's a bad day, right? Any day that anyone contracts leprosy, it's not a good day. But the problem is, when you get leprosy, that means you have to leave the community that you live in. You have to live now outside of the city. Family can't be near you. Friends can't be near you. The cost is very high for this man. He loses a lot immediately, just interpersonally. But it gets worse. He's an outcast and can't even be touched. He's deprived of any form of intimacy, right? A hug, a handshake, any of that. Completely deprived of all of it. And the belief in that day was that if you contract leprosy, it means that you're cursed by God. Well, just imagine being a religious leader who's cursed by God. How's that going to go over for your self-esteem, let alone your public image, right? Devastating for this man. It's crippling for him. And, and yet Jesus miraculously heals the guy, and he restores his ministry, Imagine how you would feel. You assume that I'm never going to be in ministry again. I'm never going to be able to do what I did before. I can't see the people I wanted to see. And God, in His great mercy and love, gives you a second chance. Just amazing. His whole life story is restored, and He's put back into ministry. It's a beautiful story. Now, Mary has a different story. We're given some additional insight and desire of ages that she herself was actually sexually abused, and this set her life in a course that was not in her best interest, and she eventually fell into a lifestyle of sexual sin, which is not uncommon. Many people in the adult film industry, there's nothing adult about it, but many people in the adult film industry have wrestled. They were abused by someone at a young age, family members, other people. It's not uncommon. People that are, that are in other forms of that type of behavior Uh, Many times this can happen. It's not the only cause, but it can be common. So she herself, because of this lifestyle, is an outcast in society. Similar to Simon's, isn't it? She's an outcast. And and in the small community of Bethany, right? this is one of those places where everyone knows your name. They had that song uh, for the, the, the TV program, Cheers, where everyone knows your name. It was like that in Bethany. Everybody knows everybody else's business, and she's the outcast. So it's not like she can just kind of hide in society and hope like everyone knows. Okay, it's difficult for her. But she herself is also set free by Jesus. He delivers her. In one place, we're told that seven demons are cast out of her, and she's healed of her sordid past. She's given a new lot in life, and she's able to begin again, which is a beautiful story. And the other insight we're given at Desire of Ages is that Simon is the one responsible for this abuse and the harm that came to her that led her on this downward spiral. There's actually a connection. But there's a feast that's going to be held in honor of Jesus for two main reasons. One, Simon being healed. It's held at Simon's house in his restoration. But two, for the raising of Lazarus. Jesus has just risen a man from the dead. And I think I covered this before here. That was a little Melinda. But anyway, that... Whenever Jesus had raised earlier people from the dead, Jairus' daughter or, um, I'm trying to think of it, the, the widow's son, there was this belief that came from Greek foolishness. It wasn't actually a biblical belief, but the belief was that the soul doesn't leave the body for three days. And so you're not really dead until day four, okay? Now, it's ridiculous. So just imagine, Jesus raises someone from the dead, and you just think of the gall of some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were going to say, well, I mean, he wasn't really dead. He was only dead for two days. It's just ridiculous, right? But this is the, they hated Jesus so much that they just would not believe. And so whenever Lazarus gets sick and then eventually dies, Jesus does not show up to that household until Lazarus has been dead for how many days? Four. Now we know why. So there's not going to be any nonsense about the fact that no he wasn't really dead. Martha goes so far as to say that he stinks Jesus. <laughs> you can't raise him from the dead. He stinks. So Jesus has defied all of this foolishness and this mindset that had happened in this community and it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. In fact so big of a deal that the Pharisees and Sadducees said we got to we got to stop this guy. We got to take him out. But not only do they want to kill Jesus they also realize they're going to have to kill Lazarus, too, because too many people want to believe in Jesus because of Lazarus. He's this living, breathing one of these for what we're trying to do here, right? He's sheep stealing and they, just, they can't take it. And so it's, it's a difficult situation for Jesus to be navigating. But all this kind of is circling around this home. That it's a big deal. There's this buzz in town. Jesus raised this guy from the dead. He cleansed this guy of his leprosy. So Jesus goes to Simon's house because of both of these events. And someone shows up to this house uninvited and completely steals the show. Her name is Mary. If you turn to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, we'll start to look at this story. And I'm actually going to have some of this on the screen. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 3. Glad you got Bibles though. Mark chapter 14 and beginning in verse three, says, "In being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, meaning Jesus, a woman came having an alabaster flask, of very costly oil of spikenard, and then she broke the flask and poured it on his head." Now, this is one of those things that she just kind of sneaks into the house. She doesn't want to be noticed. But just imagine, if they're having a party, if they're having a gathering at someone's house, there's going to be music, there's going to be lots of people, lots of talking, lots of noise, I'm sure. But then everybody's nose tells them that something's going on and everything stops. And everyone is now looking at this woman making this offering for Jesus. It says in verse uh, continuing, it says, But there were some there who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil, what's the next word? wasted. Just imagine, this woman's given everything she has for Jesus, and their response is, she's wasting this gift on Jesus. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Ironically enough, the statement is made by who? Does anybody know? Judas. Judas, who had no desire to take care of the poor. He wanted to fleece his own pockets. But his dissension ends up being caught. It's contagious, amongst the other disciples. It's a difficult moment, particularly for this woman. And then it says what? That they criticized her sharply. Here this woman is, she just wants to show appreciation for the fact that Jesus radically transforms her life, and she doesn't get warm, fuzzy feelings from the brethren, does she? Even from disciples, y'all, this isn't just like you know, crusty Pharisees and Sadducees, like this is the people that are following Jesus, and they're stumbling at this woman, and she feels terrible. She feels absolutely horrible at this moment. She's being accused of being wasteful by giving everything she has for Jesus, but what they don't understand is that she's the only person in the room who actually gets it. Jesus has been saying for a while, I'm going to die. I've come to suffer and to die and to rise again, and they're just doing one of these. La, 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 suffering doesn't sound good. I don't like that. I want the land back from the Romans. I want a conquering Messiah. I don't want to hear that. But there's a woman in the room who does seem to have some form of understanding as to what Jesus came here for, and she's giving what she has to let him know that she appreciates it. I get it, Jesus. I understand, and I appreciate it. So she does. Jesus is about to die, and she wants him to enjoy her offering now and through the hardship that's to come. She doesn't fully know what she's doing, but she just got a sense. The Spirit has prompted her, now is the time. You need to give it now. It's amazing. As opposed to when he's dead and buried, he's not going to be able to know and appreciate it. We'll come back to that. Jesus sees that this woman gets it, and he responds to the murmuring. Picking up in verse 6, But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. She's being accused for doing a good work for Jesus. Maybe you've been accused for doing a good work of Jesus. No one seemed to understand what you were doing at the time. They didn't appreciate what you were doing at the time. She can understand. She's done a good work for me. He says, for you have the poor with you always. If that's the right you want to take with this, fellas, you're going to have them always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you don't. And she gets that. You don't have me always. She's done what she could. She's come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to who? Not to me, but to her. Now, who is it that Jesus is going to commission to tell the world his story and in turn her story? The very people he's rebuking right now. They didn't get it. She did. And he tells them, I want you to tell her story. My story chiefly, obviously. But I want you to tell her story because there's something in her story that you missed. It's actually a part of your story that you've missed. We'll get to that in a moment. I think it's amazing. This is not the only murmuring that happens in this room, though. The second version is found in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, the dealings of Jesus are just absolutely mind-boggling to me. What he sees and understands and how he deals with difficult situations is just amazing. We can learn a lot from him. But if you turn to Luke chapter 7, it's around verse 38. Um, this woman comes into the house. She's weeping at the feet of Jesus. She's washing his feet. She's wetting his feet with her tears. She's drying them with her hair, and then she anoints them with oil. The whole house, again, is fragrant with this offering, and all the music stops. All the people stop doing what they're doing, and they're all looking to figure out, what's this lady about? What is this? My nose is telling me something's going on over here. And if you look at verse 30, uh, 39 in Luke chapter 7, it says, Now, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, saw what this woman's doing, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who... Now, if he were, sends a whole lot like the temptation in the wilderness. If you are the Son of God, right? That questioning the identity of Jesus happens again at the crucifixion. If you're the Son of God, save yourself. Any of this questioning going into the identity of Jesus can't be coming from the right direction, right? It's not coming from above, but below. But he says that this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. God doesn't deal with dirty people. He doesn't have any interest in them because they're gross. They're not worthy of being saved. They don't deserve any attention. Is his worldview as a religious leader. It's not a very good picture. She's doing what Simon should have done. In this culture, the understanding was when someone is a guest in your home, you wash their feet, you anoint them. For whatever reason, Jesus makes his way into this house without receiving any of this treatment from Simon. This is meant to be a feast in honor of Jesus, but when the guest of honor shows up, the king of the universe... Oh, hey, Jesus, how you doing? So anyway, and they're talking to whoever they're talking about, whatever they're talking about. Just no seeming notice of Jesus and what he needs and what is due him because of who he is. And Jesus reminds Simon of this. Go to verse 40. Luke chapter 7 and verse 40. It says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you that her sins, which are many, are forgiven." For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's at least one person in the room that gets it. Right now, it seems like only one. And it seems as though what Jesus has done for this woman in delivering her and delivering her and delivering her and delivering and delivering and delivering and delivering her in the midst of her hardship, bearing long with her, casting out seven demons, she finally came to understand that where I came from and when Jesus got a hold of me and how my life has been since then, they're not the same. And the least thing I can do for this guy is to show him that I appreciate him, that I get it, and I value him. And so she does. But here's the point. I believe that the reason why Simon did not do the cultural norm of serving Jesus and washing his feet is because Simon forgot where he came from. He forgot what Jesus delivered him from and in turn felt no obligation to serve him. Are you with me? Mary, on the other hand, I'll we'll come back to that. Um, one evidence of us losing sight of where we came from is when we condemn someone else for giving what they have to Jesus. If you find yourself condemning someone else for giving what they got for Jesus, it's very good evidence of the fact that you've forgotten where you came from, even if it's not pretty. Maybe when they give everything they have for Jesus, it looks ugly. They make a fool of themselves, right? They don't do church the way that we do it. They don't do life the way that we do it. But they're giving them what they got. They're grateful. They haven't forgotten where they came from. When you see someone making a fool of themselves, giving Jesus whatever they have, leave them alone. He's glad to receive it. So if you feel that when you've when you've whatever instinct came into your heart at the time to just give Jesus what you had and someone got in your case, Jesus is happy to receive it. You get it; they may not right now, but you get it, and He's glad for that. And there will come a time if that's not the way that God wants you to give Him things. I'm sure He'll educate you. But when you're giving Him what you got with what you know, He's glad to receive it. Amen. Leave Him alone. Mary remembered where she came from, and that's why she gave everything she had for Jesus. We can learn a lesson from her today. Simon forgot where he came from, and that's why he did nothing for Jesus. He lost track of how precious it was to sit at the feet of Jesus and to have him as the guest of honor in his life. And you know, the moments that I don't feel like giving of myself for Jesus and for his people are the moments where I've forgotten where I came from. How about you? When I feel like I just, I just don't want to serve right now. Just not feeling it, you know? I've got other things to do. I've got other things that are occupying my time. Just, I just don't feel like it. And I believe that this is why many find themselves idle in their Christian experience. And yet they have a lot to say about what other people are doing or not doing. But that can change, Amen doesn't have to stay that way. We can take hold of the good lesson this morning. I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe it's the story of Mary that resonates with you, that you're given what you got for Jesus, and no one around you seems to understand or appreciate what you're doing. Maybe that's you. Don't forget where you came from. It's your saving grace. Maybe it's the story of Simon that resonates with you that you've lost sight of just how precious it is to sit and weep at the feet of Jesus and to have Him in your life and in your home. And my counsel to you is exactly the same. Don't forget where you came from. Mary's offering is to be mentioned wherever the gospel is preached. Why is that? I want to read a quote to you from the Desire of Ages that's heartbreaking. The loneliness of Christ, we have to stop immediately, Did you know that Jesus wrestled with loneliness? You ever been lonely? Jesus understands immediately. The loneliness of Christ, separated from the heavenly courts, living the life of humanity, was never understood or appreciated by the disciples as it should have been. And He was often grieved because His disciples did not give him that which he should have received from him Pity, understanding, sympathy, didn't get it. And I assure you that today Jesus grieves equally as profoundly when he doesn't receive from us what he wishes to receive. Praise, gratitude, and service. It still brings him grief, I assure you. He knew that if they were under the influence of the heavenly angels that accompanied him, they too would think no offering of sufficient value to declare the heart's spiritual affection. They'd sell everything they had like this woman did. And they'd make a fool of themselves for Jesus just like this woman did. Mary's offering again is to be mentioned wherever the gospel is preached. Why? Because we're prone to not get it. And we're prone to forget it. We don't remember where we came from. We don't remember what Jesus delivered us from. And in turn, we find ourselves in these just selfish, ugly places in life. I'll be brutally honest with you this morning. I've been in a very, very dark place for two straight years. Just hardship and work, relational things and other stuff that just, it's been dark. It's been a difficult span in my life. And I found myself waning in some of my disciplines. I didn't leave them entirely, right? I was still doing the things. I never stopped communing with God, but just something was different. Now I was just kind of running on that, like, efficiency mode, right? You're doing just enough to get by and do what needs to be done. I didn't stop doing ministry. I didn't stop preaching. I didn't stop giving Bible studies. I didn't stop counseling people and pointing them to Jesus. But internally, it's been a dark and difficult place, And God had to bring me face to face with the fact that I had forgotten where I came from. That in spite of difficulty and darkness and misunderstanding and rejection and poverty and anything else, who I was before Jesus got a hold of me and who I was even in those dark moments was not the same. And Jesus deserved better than I was giving him. Mary's life is a living rebuke to mine. I had forgotten where I came from. I had forgotten the lessons that God had taught me. And it's just been in the course of this week that God has just broken off the chains of darkness. And I feel like myself again. Finally. I didn't give up on Jesus. I didn't stop praying. I didn't stop reading my Bible. I didn't fold my arms and yell at Him. But I wasn't the same man. It was wrestling. But Jesus reminded me where I came from, and he allowed difficulties to come to change my perspective and realize, son, you missed it. You missed it. And he told me, I want you to tell her story. Why? For the same reason he wanted the disciples to tell her story, because you're tempted to forget. That's why he wants you to tell her story, too, because we're tempted to forget. Her getting it was a fragrant reminder to Jesus through every step of his sufferings that somebody is going to value what he's doing. Because the temptation Jesus is going to go through in the next 36 hours is something you don't even want to experience, let alone fully understand. It would wreck you if you did. Completely wreck you. But it's amazing. Because when all seem to reject Jesus in his greatest time of need, the disciples flee. Peter says, I'll never lead you. Had that work out. Ran from a girl, right? And it's just not a good situation. He knew her gift that that was given to Jesus was this continual reminder to him in every moment of his sufferings. Because he goes from this Gathering, the next few days go on. He has the, the dinner with the disciples, then he is arrested, right? Then he's beaten and tortured. He, it, he agonizes in Gethsemane first, but then he's arrested. He's falsely tried and convicted. He's mm-hmm. beaten to a pulp. You can't even recognize who he is anymore, Isaiah 52 tells us. Literally, physically, Jesus is no longer recognizable. You don't know who that is. And as he goes through every ounce of this suffering, With each inhale, he can smell the offering that this woman gave him. And it reminds him, somebody will appreciate this. When the disciples are gone and nowhere to be found, there's at least one person on this planet that gets it. Because the devil's tempting him and says, Hey, Jesus, where are your disciples right now? Where are his disciples? Nowhere to be found. Jesus, you're wasting your time, man. These people don't value you. They don't appreciate you. Somebody does. And there's a living, breathing reminder of that with that offering she had on his head and on his feet. He can smell it. And he knew that he was loved and appreciated, and his suffering would be worth the cost, even if it's just for her. Jesus' offering for us is meant to be a perpetual reminder of his love for us in our darkest moments. And I lost sight of that. I don't know if you've ever had those moments, but I have. I've seen tens of thousands of dollars worth of miracles in my personal experience, let alone ministry experiences. I've seen souls yanked out of hell in evangelism. I've seen people make decisions for eternity and see their characters transformed, and yet I just assume that this is what everybody else's life looks like. And it's not. People would sell internal organs to have the experience that God has blessed me to have. And I totally forgot. I lost sight of where I came from and how blessed I was by God. I forgot. But Jesus' offering is meant to be that perpetual reminder that Mary's was to Him. His offering is meant to be that for us. When people forsake you, when your parents disappoint you, when your children disappoint you, when everyone around you that you depended upon disappoints you, there's someone who hasn't. There's someone who gets you. And there's someone who appreciates you, nonetheless. She continues. The fragrant gift which Mary had brought or had thought to lavish upon the dead body of the Savior, she poured upon his living form. At the burial, its sweetness could only have pervaded the tomb, but now it gladdened his heart with the assurance of her faith and love. But Mary, pouring out her love upon the Savior while he was conscious of her devotion, "...was anointing him for the burial. And as he went down into the darkness of his great trial, he carried with him the memory of that deed and earnest of the love that would be his from his redeemed ones forever." It was literally to Jesus a foreshadowing that other people will appreciate it and other people will accept it. What a profound gift this woman gave. She had no clue. She was totally clueless to how profound this gift was for Jesus. Mary knew not the full significance of her deed of love. She could not answer her accusers. She could not explain why she had chosen that occasion for anointing Jesus. The Holy Spirit had planned for her. That's why. It was a gift from the Father above. Through one of these people, a fallen, broken mortal, a former sex addict, and someone who was in a deep, dark place in life. God the Father used her to minister to Jesus. The Holy Spirit had planned for her. Inspiration stoops to give no reason. An unseen presence, it speaks to mind and soul and moves the heart to action, and it is its own justification. Christ told Mary the meaning of her act, and listen to me. And in this, he gave her more than he had received. (laughs) In that she hath poured this ointment on my body, he said, she did it for my burial. And as the alabaster box was broken and filled the whole house with its fragrance, so Christ was to die. His body was to be broken, but he was to rise from the tomb, and the fragrance of his life was to fill the earth. Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, Paul says. Now we know why he uses that language, don't we? Paul got it. Verily I say unto you, Christ declared, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Looking into the future, the Savior spoke with certainty concerning his gospel. It was to be preached throughout the world. And as far as the gospel extended, Mary's gift would shed its fragrance and hearts would be blessed through her unstudied act. Listen to this. Kingdoms would rise and fall. The names of monarchs and conquerors would be forgotten. But this woman's deed would be immortalized upon the pages of sacred history. Until time should be no more, that broken alabaster box would tell the story of the abundant love of God for a fallen race. Amen? Your offering to Jesus can bring that same level of satisfaction and love. When you don't forget where you came from and you give them what you got, even if it ain't pretty, it can bring that satisfaction and love to the heart of God. This is why he wants her story told. And the beautiful thing is, young people, her story can be your story. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter if it's taken seven times for God to get you, to get a hold of you and to set you free what's been holding you. He can do it. And he's asking you today to not forget where you came from. Don't lose sight of what Jesus delivered you from and how good he's been to you in spite of what you've done to him. In spite of the times that you said thanks but no thanks. In spite of the times that you said I will Jesus but later because I want to try this first. Don't forget where you came from. If you feel that you've messed up too many times, And I'm sure she felt the same way. You can come back today. Amen? It ain't over. You can come back today. Remember what Jesus has delivered you from and know that her story can be yours. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you for this painful uh, and yet healing reminder today that we have a God in heaven who loves us individually, who desires our good, who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord Jesus, please forgive us. Lord, we're sorry. We've forgotten. We have forgot where we've come from. We've forgotten what we've been delivered from. And we've just been taking advantage of what you've been doing for us. And God, we want that to change. This is part of the Laodicean message that you forgot where you came from, you're not who you think you are, and you need something more, and things that you can't provide for yourself. You need gold tried in the fire, a faith that works by love. You need white raiment, you need Christ's robe of righteousness, because you have no righteousness within you, and you need ISAV. You need discernment to recognize your true spiritual condition. God, we see that today. For many of us, there was a time when we recognized that, but we forgot. And I pray that you would remind us. And I pray that the egocentricity that brought us to the cross and that we recognize is not enough to keep us there. I pray that the true story of the cross would keep us there that you've delivered us from a life of darkness, that you have a plan for our lives, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans for a future, and that our life is far better giving what we got for Jesus than accusing the people around us or wasting our time elsewhere. Bless us now today with that living, breathing reminder we pray. We ask this now in Christ Jesus' name.